Veronica has her sword, Tom has his laser, and I have my mind. And a mind needs books and this podcast as a sword needs a whetstone if it's to keep its edge. Go to patreon.com slash sword and laser to pledge support and sharpen your mind. Hey everybody, welcome to Sword and Laser. A little different take today on the episode, we're sharing with you a great interview with James S.A. Corey, that's Daniel Abraham and Ty Frank, the team that makes up James S.A. Corey, who write the excellent Expanse novels. We got to talk to them at Baycon 2017, so here's that interview. Enjoy. All right, so we are joined by the fantastic James S.A. Corey, also known as Ty Frank and Daniel Abraham. Let's give them a round of applause for being here. And I am, uh, oh, hello, I'm Tom Merritt. I'm joined, no, wait, no, I'm I'm Veronica Belmont. What just happened there? That was amazing. We've been running around like crazy. Well, I think we're going to, we're we're thinking about taking a page from you guys' book uh, and just combining our names yeah. Distributed identity is yeah. really weird. You should try that sometime. We could do Sword and Laser by Anne Andrews. Oh, is that our middle names? Yeah. I'm impressed that you remember my middle name. Mm. I didn't know yours <laughs> at all. That's fantastic. So you guys have been on a whirlwind tour of, of promoting the books, promoting the show, working on the show. Like, when does it, are you exhausted at this point? Is, yes. it, is it difficult to continue talking about this kind of thing? I'm so sorry that you have to do this for another hour. <laughs> No, it's it's a it, it is a, an overwhelming project and it's huge and um, all consuming and so it's really easy to talk about because it's kind of hard to talk about anything else because I don't remember the world outside this project anymore. Mm-hmm. So eh, that's fine, and by Ty. all means. Yeah, Ty. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Outside of the Expanse books and television show and distilled spirits and fermented beverages, is there anything left, Ty? No. Yeah. No, that that's it. That covers everything. So we have some questions from our uh, listeners over on Goodreads, but then after we run through those, we're happy to open up to questions from the audience if you guys have things you want to talk about as well. Um, our first question comes from Joe, who says, do you have an end game for the Expanse series, or do they plan on writing books indefinitely? <laughs> do they already have the stories for the next couple of books mapped out? Well, no, we, we have, we have the, we've known the ending for the last book of the Expanse literally for years. Um, and it is a nine-book series. We're working on book seven right now. There's going to be nine novels. There's going to be a book of uh, the short fiction. And uh, then the story's done. Then it's, then it's cooked. Has, uh, and this is a question comes from Rob. Has the TV show influenced that story in any way as, as you head towards that endgame? No. We're, it, I mean, we went into it trying to be very careful not to cross the streams. But it actually turned out to be very easy because... You know, the, the TV show is working on book two right now, and we're working on book seven. So they're, they're very different things. And, yeah. and it, you know, I mean, even the characters are different in our heads. Um, I, I, love, I love all the characters on the show, but they still don't look like the ones in my head for the books. So yeah, yeah, it's, it's, the, the show is definitely a retelling. It's a different yeah. object uh, than, than the books are, and that's great. That's, that's kind of what we wanted to have happen. Yeah, how do you kind of balance that? Because as soon as you started saying that the, the TV show characters are very different from how you view them in, in your own mind, so that, that doesn't have any impact on, on the future of the story at all? 
You know, I my my example of this is I still can picture uh, very clearly the the Nicholson Joker and the Heath Ledger Joker. I can see them at the same time. They don't really bleed into each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a lot of experience as a culture with having different uh, instances and instantiations of the same story. This is just one that I'm kind of in the middle of both of them. Yeah, that's but, actually a really good point. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't it, that that Wes. Uh, Wes's Amos and the book Amos are not exactly the same person. That that doesn't doesn't throw me. You know, this is just a personal observation as a fan. But one of the things I've noticed reading the most recent book is that certain characters are still the same as when I read Leviathan Wakes the first time. James Holden looks like my James Holden. Uh, not that there's anything wrong with the TV show, James Holden, no, no, but you know, I've got that. Imp- but Amos particularly, has been taken over by the TV, Amos, now. Well, I mean, that, that speaks to how uh, compelling Wes is. Uh, Wes is a great actor, and he, uh, he brought a lot to the part. Um, you know, he did a lot of research. He, uh, he read the churn a bunch of times, and then he took the churn to a psychologist and gave it to them to read and said, now tell me everything that's wrong with this guy. Ah, um, wow. So he understood coming in what he was doing. Yeah, so I mean, he brought a lot to it, and he's a he's a very charming actor, um, very subtle actor. If you sort of just watch him in the background, no matter what else is going on, he's always doing something interesting. Mm-hmm. And I think that uh, because of that, people really have latched on to him. Um, the, and the other thing I'd say is, um, you, come back when the show is done and see if Stephen Strait hasn't grown into yeah, Holden yeah. for you, because Holden is Holden is a tremendously difficult part to play because he's got the longest character arc. He changes the most subtly over time. And, and in some ways, I think we, we kind of saddled Stephen with the, the hardest job on the show, um, em, embodying that over the course of years uh, and, and yeah, nine books worth of plot. Yeah. And, and to be honest, my Holden just had less hair and, and <laughs> less good-looking hair than him, so it's not a big problem. But I think everybody on Earth sees Vasarala as Shari now. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, absolutely. Just, I don't think anybody uh, doesn't see, hasn't replaced her. I, I can't their remember not her. seeing her as her right. at mm-hmm. this point. How far did the actors go to really dive into the history of the characters from the books? Was that something, was, was for example, taking the character description to a psychiatrist or a psychologist, is, is that something that's typical? Or was he just really deep into figuring out the, the ins and outs of, of Amos? Well, we got lucky. Um, we, we got a crew of, a core cast that is very committed to the process. Um, I mean, acting is a tough job, so I'm not, I'm not uh, saying that you know, all actors don't work hard, but we got a particularly hardworking core group. And Stephen Strait, who plays uh, Holden, um, really, uh, he went and uh, met with a uh, post-traumatic stress disorder uh, expert uh, between the first and second season to really talk about like, what would surviving Eros do to you and how would it change your personality and um, did a lot of research on that. And, and I, most of them had read the first book before they started shooting. Um, and, and There's a danger yeah. in, in reading the books ahead of time too. Wes, Wes had read a lot, uh, read forward, and he was starting to get plot points mixed up because he had mm. read so far ahead in the books that he thought things had already happened in the show that hadn't occurred yet and so we, it, there, there's a there's a school of thought that I, I have come to really respect that is where they dig deeply into the characters but they don't read far into the books 
Yeah, Wes has, he told me he, he does one book a year. So uh, before we start shooting the second season, he read the second book. And now between the second and third seasons, he's read the third book and he's just gonna do it that way so that he doesn't get too far ahead and, and uh, start to confuse himself. But yeah, I, the group as a, as, a, as a whole is very hardworking and, and really committed to figuring out the characters and uh, understanding them before they, before they shoot. And, the, and Thomas Jane is Thomas Jane. I Thomas mean, Jane's astounding. Yeah, so. It's kind of amazing because I feel like we're coming up on these kinds of questions a lot more frequently these days with, with amazing book series being turned into TV adaptations and, and how the actors kind of handle that, especially with something like Game of Thrones, for example, where like if you know the Red Wedding is coming up, like how does that inform your behavior as an actor on the show up until that point? So it's, it's really interesting, especially though, since you have even more books kind of ahead of you on, on the show and, and how that can potentially change the way the actors perceive the characters that they're playing. Well, and there's also some divergence. I mean, the, the, the version of Alex on the show particularly has a, a little bit of a different backstory than the one in the books. Mm -hmm. And uh, the way that we're, we're unfolding Naomi's backstory and, and exploring who she is and her relationship to uh, her own past is is a little bit different. I mean, it's all it's all circling around the same issues and concerns and uh, some of the all of the main plot points. But um, but Naomi's Naomi's uh, Dom's Naomi and our Naomi um, have different paths. Have different paths for the story. Alex, probably Alex Kamel, uh, wrote on Goodreads. What is someone that has only seen the show uh, going to get? if they go to the books? What would you say to somebody who's ready to dive in now, coming from the other direction? Well, I mean, the, the books have more time to spend sort of on the interior lives of the characters. Uh, you know, especially, uh, so I mean, one of the challenges in writing the first season was that we had Detective Miller, who is a very interior character. He, he spends a lot of time in his own head, um, a lot of interior monologue, and how do you turn that into an interesting character on a show? So we gave him a lot of external stuff to do uh, to try to show those same emotional states. But you know, if you read the book, you get sort of more of that internal stuff, what, how he feels about the world, how he feels about himself, um, why he makes the choices that he makes. There's a lot more of that stuff in there. And there's just more detail. I mean, it's, it's a, what, 170,000 word book uh, yeah. turned, into, turned into 10 hours of TV. You know, and there's just a lot more detail in the books. Yeah. Mark says, I, I really enjoy the short fiction set in the Expanse universe. How do the authors decide what will be included in the novels and what will be published separately as shorts? The, the decisions are totally separate. I, I mean, we, we, know what the, we know what's going to be in the books um, and, and have for quite some time. The, the novellas, we just look around for an interesting story. That, yeah, what would be cool? Yeah, what would be cool that we're not going to show in the books? What, what part of the world that you won't get to see in the novel would make a cool 20, 30,000 word story. Do you have a character Bible or, or any kind of document that you refer to? No, there's some books though. <laughs> you just, yeah. yeah. That's, yeah, that's kind of work. Can you those. find those? And, yeah, you yeah. know, I, I have some copies. I, I have them um, in electronic form so I can like search for stuff. So if I say, okay, I don't know what, What's on Titan? <laughs> what do we put on Titan? Do you we ever need, look we at the We need the, the Cimmerillion of, yeah, of just, like, we, for we, the Expanse. Or you just do find replacing, you know, 
Titan. Oh, oh, that's what we put on Titan. Awesome. And uh, there, do, you, do you ever there use is the a wiki? guy who who made an Expanse wiki? There is an Expanse wiki, and it's actually pretty good. I, I go there every now and then. Like, what was the name of that ship? I'll be honest. <laughs> when I've been reading your books in the past, I have gone to the wiki, which has existed for a while, yeah. and mm-hmm. sometimes been like, oh, that particular thing isn't in there yet. That has changed since the television show because more people have been jumping in. There's yeah, it's in. it's gotten to be a lot bigger, and it's a, it's a little. Um, it's a little tricky because there are two continuities. There are two different versions of the story, and especially when you get to stuff like Belter vocabulary, um, where we aren't linguists and just made a bunch of <laughs> up, and then they actually had somebody knew who what he was doing come in. So that there's there's. Uh, Did he cry? Is that a true? Story? I I I we would not about be that. at all surprised if he had wept at some point. Um, when he saw what we had done to his field of expertise, <laughs> but uh, but no, it, it's you know, a lot. Of, there's a lot of overlap, and then there are some divergences too, in all of that. Uh, Silvana asks, "I just want to know what they think the name of the expanse fandom should be." My friends came up with a suggestion: expansionistas. <laughs> <laughs> Expanos. Yeah. Los Expanos. Los Expanos. That probably means something that's not at all appropriate. Yeah. There's, there's, probably like, there's a certain arrogance in naming your fandom. Right. That I just, yeah. I'm not comfortable. Yeah. yeah of I'm course. not comfortable doing that. Like deciding ahead of time that you have enough fandom that you should give it a name for yourself. Sorry, yeah. fans. It's like giving yourself you. a nickname. <laughs> yeah. 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 No. Uh, all humanity? How's that? Was that good? Oh, that's good. Yeah. People. What is some of the craziest stuff you've seen in the fandom? Because I know you guys have definitely been making the rounds at, at events and cons. Is there something that you've seen where you've been like, oh my God, that's amazing? Our our fans are pretty chill. I mean, we, we haven't really had any any weird or crazy fans uh, that I can remember. Did, have, oh, like any the, really good costumes? Got, or the, There was the guy who got the OPA tattoo on his chest. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, so, but you know, I mean, he was committed. He was that, that fully you, committed. You are committed. Uh, when and then you there's do the that. woman. The, the woman who has the the Julie Mao tattoo, which was a beautiful wow. piece of art. Yeah, that um, is a cool piece of art. That was. I mean, that's one of the ones where you look at it and go, "Ooh, maybe I should do that." Yeah, you know, it's, it was. It was really nice. But but permanent so far, body art has gotten my attention. Mm-hmm. That's that's the. But we so far we haven't had any anybody who. I felt nervous about, or or thought was <laughs> that was a little too a little I, too weird or crazy. I, well, without saying you know, oh, they're 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 you know, the 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 tattoos have been great. There was uh, some amazing uh, cosplay at Phoenix Comic Con this year, where uh, a woman went as Julie Mao with the protomolecule uh, oh, glowing nice. and yeah. coming out of her yeah, mouth, yeah. and it was I mean, no you know, spoilers. Uh, um, no, there's been some, the beginnings of some really uh, amazing work that's that's spun up from it, some fan work. Um, I don't know that there is any fan fiction. We have a rule that we do not read fan fiction, so there may be a bunch of that out there that I just don't know about, and that will be the way that is forever. But No, that's totally understandable. Yeah. That's that's something we hear from authors pretty regularly because it's you, you can't run the risk of possibly integrating something into your own official yeah. world but and having that it's, be an issue. It's not even the risk of integrating. It's the risk of somebody accusing you right. of having integrated it. Um, you. you if you just have a general rule, you never read it, then that's yeah. a great way to say, no, I, I didn't integrate your I couldn't idea have even subconsciously. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I do not do that. I am willfully yeah. ignorant of everything yeah, else Yeah, I mean, we have two rules. Uh, 
our only two rules are don't tell us you did it. Don't try to get us to read it. And then the other rule is don't try to make money from it because yep. somebody will sue you. If they just come up to you at, an, at a convention, do you put your hands over your ears and go, blah, 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 I can't. Yeah, like that. It has so not happened that hasn't yet. happened. Yeah. <laughs> but Please I'm willing do that. to. I think that would be a fine plan. I have adopted <laughs> that as a strategy now. Perfect. I, I don't think this is crazy, Finn, but I did name my Wi-Fi access point Rosanante. Yeah. No, our, we've seen a lot of... Like license plates, we've got prestige oh, yeah. plates for uh, the Rossi. We've got one. There was one up for there for the Scopuli for a while. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Our our showrunner uh, has renamed his Tesla uh, Rossinante. Nice, so that's that was, good. That's great. John says on the forums, uh, if this one hasn't been asked to death, what made you to decide? Uh, what made you decide on a space opera slash noir detective mashup? Well, Ty was running this role-playing game, and I rolled up a character who was a, a kind of a noir detective guy, and then I thought, ooh, this would make a great book. And, uh, yeah, and then, then we, we wrote it as a way to sell it and make pizza money, and we overshot, and now we're here. Gotta so so Miller money. was your character? Miller was my character. Oh, that's I made great. I was, we, uh, the, the version of... There, were, there was more than one... Um, adventure going on in universe that Ty was running, but the one that I was part of was running security um, on Sirius Station um, during uh, a particularly troubled part of Sirius's history. Um, and it was me and my wife and Ty's wife, and Ty was running the game, so we had like three you know, Star Helix investigators um, dealing with problems on Sirius. Do you think Miller reads a lot of noir? Miller think, the is, character? Yeah, is he like informed by that? Like he he certainly on the TV show at least has a very specific style. Oh no, I'm I'm sure he is entirely made of affectation and uh, you know internalized. Well, he looks cool and masculine. I'm going to be like that <laughs> only because I wrote him and uh, I'm like that. So I figure he must be. Yeah, well, I mean, Tom, Thomas uh, specifically said that he wanted to to play Miller as somebody who is aping what he thinks Earthers are like. Yeah. Ah. Because because Earthers are the, the sort of the power. They're the ones who are in charge. They're the ones who have all the the privilege and authority. And so j j dressing and acting in a way that he thinks apes them because he's sort of internalized that is that's how you get power. You mm -hmm. how to act like power. Yeah, how to act like like you're like, ha like speaking in a British accent because it make think it makes you sound more sophisticated. Right. That or or it makes you sound like a Star Wars villain. <laughs> <laughs> same same. Um, and and that's that's part of the whole thing with his hat. I mean, yeah. the Miller's had, the, the, there is no more ridiculous piece of clothing on a space station than a fedora. There's just not. Um, but it's... But uh, Earthers wear hats. But Earthers wear hats. And if you're yeah. going to, and, and the people who wear hats are specifically Earthers. I mean, that, that's, that's the way that you identify yourself with power. For the show, visually, are, were there any cues that you gave the, the, the costume or the set designers to say, this is what an Earther looks like, this is what someone from Mars looks like, that kind of very subtly sets them apart beyond maybe you know, the physicality of being taller if you're from the belt? It wasn't that subtle. Um, yeah. we, it, when we were uh, in pre-production in the first season, um, the, the studio brought on uh, Weta, Weta Workshop mm -hmm. from New Zealand and had them do a ton of concept art and, and sketches and um, all sorts of stuff that, to sort of define what the various factions look like, uh, dressing and, and, and hair 
and technology. They would all have slightly different versions of the same technology. Mm -hmm. um, and that went into a big book, this design book, that then went to everybody who worked on the show. So uh, Seth Reed, who was our production designer in the first season, his department used that book to sort of base their stuff on. Uh, Bob Monroe, who was our visual effects supervisor, used that to sort of work on the designs of what you know the ships are going to look like and that sort of thing for the visual effects. Uh, Joanna Hansen, our costume designer, used that book. So yeah, I mean, there, there, there was definitely a central document saying, here's what things should look like, and all the departments used that to some degree as the starting point for their designs. Uh, this, this goes away, and we kind of answered it earlier, uh, because we know you don't have a lot of time to do much else than, than what you're working on these days, but Silvana wanted to know, are there any recent books that you've read that you would recommend to people? Do you oh, even have a chance to Lord, read? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. No. Um, no. Do you have time for a list? I mean, I got a bunch of. Them. I go. Just, yeah. I, go for it. One of the things I mentioned this in a previous panel. One of the things that um, David Bowie left us when he passed was a list of his hundred favorite books. Um, and I've kind of, as my my ongoing process of mourning, I've been going through and reading a bunch of those. Oh, wow. um, and. So far, yeah, I, I would recommend The Age of American Unreason by uh, Susan Jacoby, which is the book, it's a, it's a history of anti-intellectualism in America that has been more useful to me in the last year than any other book I have read. It, is, it has framed a lot of things that I've, I've been struggling with uh -huh. um, in a way that, that um, gives it a context I would not have otherwise had. I think reading history at this point is underused as a recommendation for dealing with things to realize what's actually new and what isn't. Well, and 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 how and how we got here and and the 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 threads of our culture that I have been able to ignore until I wasn't able to ignore them. Um, and also um, Fingersmith um, by Sarah Waters was on that list and I read that uh, recently and was really I really enjoyed that one a lot. That actually ties in pretty, pretty well to our next question from Stephen, who says, who wants us to ask about being active on Twitter, uh, especially with a certain kind of political view, which he says he loves. But do you ever, do you ever wonder if it's worth the grief getting so much you know, qu comments from, from certain quarters, having those kinds of opinions in a public space? Well, I, I, the truth is I probably shouldn't be on Twitter. Uh, I, I, I need to get off there soon, I think, because uh, I have no filter. I just say whatever idiot things pops into my head usually, and um, no, I think that's what Twitter is for. Yeah, yeah. No, that's yeah. exactly that's Except the mandate. That the, and you can get away with that when you have a hundred followers. When you have twenty-five thousand followers, suddenly, you know, it, it becomes more of a problem. Uh, I, I, the thing that will not drive me off of Twitter is uh, political stuff because the idea that entertainers and artists. Mm -hmm should not have opinions, mm -hmm. that all they should do is produce art for other people to consume and then keep their opinions to themselves, I think is uh, false on its face since all art is political. And um, it kind of insulting that people think that, it, and, and the, the sort of the version where I'm going to threaten to no longer buy your products as, as long as you espouse any opinions that disagree with mine, yeah. my answer to that is fine, see ya. So Yeah, the, the, I, I think there's... Um I'm, I'm kind of taking the opposite tack from Ty as far as um, what I'm 
I, I, I would like to get off of Twitter, but I feel right now with the number of people I have listening to me, that's kind of not something I'm, I'm comfortable doing. Um, I feel like there's a conversation we need to have as a culture, and I'm a tiny, tiny little cog in a, a vast machine, but it, it's, it feels important to me to be out there and, and saying what I believe and saying what I think and, and uh, boosting the voices of people who would otherwise not have access to the people who follow my particular little corner of the world um, and to try to have that conversation productively and have it respectfully and have it uh, in a way that isn't just inflammatory, um, which is hard for me. I mean, that's, 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 a, that's a tall order. Um, it's not something I'm, I'm consistently good with, but I, I feel like it's part of what I have to offer at this point. And so I, I kind of feel obligated to offer that. There's also a project I've, I've been thinking about doing um, that is spinning up a, a separate blog that, that doesn't have like comments or anything that, that is just someplace where I can say, okay, look, I'm, I'm confused and lost and um, in pain, the same as all y'all, um, but here's the sense I've made of these things and just be able to, to have a form that's longer than 140 characters long, mm -hmm. I can say, um, well, look, I, without saying what anybody else should think, here is the, here's, here's where I've come to on things like abortion or uh, race or representation or, you know, all of these things that are, are so divisive and, and painful for us right now, um, just as a way to, to say, you know, here's one person and where I am right now and not, not telling anybody else what to think, just, just reporting in, mm -hmm. here's, here's what it looks like to me and, and seeing if that's useful or not. Well, and Scalzi does. Yeah, similar I was saying stuff. you'd be in like you and, and and Chuck Wendig, and there's there's a lot of authors that that make really good use of that kind of forum. I think where they're writing about their their typical day to day, but also kind of incorporating some of their more personal views as well. What, what I like is that idea of saying, "I'm not telling you how to think. I'm not even saying I'm done thinking about it, and this is my final opinion. Mm -hmm. This is where this I am is, with this it. Is, yeah. This is this is where we are in the process. Yeah. And what are what are we if not you know if, if you're a writer, that's what you want to do. You want to write because it helps make sense of the feelings that you're having and the the opinions and and the ability to process that kind of stuff. And we are in uh, the teeth of history right now. We are mm -hmm. absolutely in uh, a formative moment in the history of our nation and of the world, and uh, it just scares the shit out of me. Just Every time. Well, this instinct to not listen, stop reading, stop consuming the work of people you disagree with is, I think, incredibly impoverishing. If I didn't listen to the music or read the books of people that I politically disagreed with, I wouldn't be as rich of a person. I wouldn't be consuming good things. I wouldn't listen to Frank Sinatra, uh, whom I love. Because I disagree with a lot of things that he did. Uh, yeah, I'm using I, that because it's a distant uh, example, but well, but and I'm not beyond rewatching Chinatown, but I get a little loogie. Sure, know, it's, it's, yeah. it's a little uh, uncomfortable. So I mean, I I actually like to seek things from people I disagree with, especially if they're a novel, because I'm like, look, I know I don't agree with how you think, but let me let me see how that comes out, because maybe what you're saying isn't exactly what's going on in your brain, and I think that's important. 
I think that's some of the big problems we're having in our culture right now. I know we're getting off topic a little bit. I don't think that, that but, this is the topic. I yeah, think that's yeah. a, a, an absolutely legitimate way to loop back into what we're doing but here. But that, that whole idea of, and, and you referenced this earlier, but the stay in your lane. Mm -hmm. I think when, when people say that to me, when I see them saying that to authors, when I see that saying that to anyone working in, you know, not politics, basically, saying, stay in your lane. That's like, no, we are, we are complicated individuals. We all have beliefs and opinions. Those, all, those beliefs and opinions inform the work that we do in one way or the other. So it's very, it's very narrow-minded to it's, it's not like, expect um, that of people. Anybody who gets their first publishing contract then gives up their citizenship. Right. right. <laughs> that's, not, that's not a thing. And it applies in all directions. You know, We should be able to hear something we think is, is horribly wrong and and say okay well i disagree but without without it I turning into i disagree and here's why i disagree and the the i think one of the skills that we have failed at as a culture is the ability to have conflicts that we do not then escalate out of mm -hmm. i think i think it's really easy to say um you have said this i find that uh deeply offensive and so we're going to get into a shouting match because then we don't have to actually have the conflict. Right, right. Um, the part where we say, "Okay, I'm going to, I'm just going to, I'm going to drill down. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to channel Socrates until you just need to leave the room." Um, is a skill that I, I wish we had more practice. Yeah, with. the lack of discourse is is pretty troubling. Well, and and the amount of um, what passes for discourse actually being um, this kind of Dionysian rage theater. Um, I, I think that's a problem. I that's think the that's, name of my metal band. I think that should be. <laughs> it's, it's actually one of the reasons I love Holden because Holden, as a character, Ooh, will, good segue. will do the thank you. Yeah, that was good. He'll he'll do the thing that I'm like, yes, that's the right thing to do. Tell people, and then you will have him realize that was a horrible mistake, even though he did it for the right reasons. But just because it was a horrible mistake doesn't mean it was worthless and there might be, you know, it's not a very simple good and evil. And I think that's in very instructive when you're reading it of like, okay, yeah, think through what you're doing and how you're saying it and why well, you're saying Holden's it. Holden's big mistake is that he keeps overestimating everybody around him. He keeps thinking, if everybody has the correct information, they'll all make the right decision right. and they'll all do the right thing. And that's so many people on Twitter right now. Right? <laughs> I just yeah. need to give you the correct yeah, information. If just only let me you understood, you. if only you understood the, right. the, the facts, then you would all decide the same way that I'm deciding. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's, uh, I, I find that very charming um, <laughs> that somebody, somebody feels that way, that they, that they think everybody's gonna make the right decision if they just have access to the correct information. Um, well, yeah. and, and he's and Holden has changed the course of the books too, because what he thinks the right information is has changed. One of the things we did in you know in the first book we had him saying, "Oh, here's this you know earth-shattering thing. Everybody needs to know this. Boom, everybody knows it." And then, oh, that was a terrible plan. Mm -hmm. um, and by the time we get to book six, what he's thinking is, "No, what we need the the thing that people actually need to know is the context. They need to know that these people who they're fighting against." Um, love their dogs and cook with their families and our people and and he goes on this kind of uh 
this YouTube video trip yeah, of yeah. just trying to make it a little bit harder for people to kill each other. Put a face on it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I love about that is the growth of him like, no, I still believe that I can do this. I just need to figure out the right way. Yeah. And and that's Holden. That that is the the, the beautiful thing about and without spoilers for what we're doing in the last three books, um, the the Holden that you should see at the end of the story um, is both radically different from and totally consonant with the guy you saw at the beginning. Awesome. Well, on that note, uh, why don't we open it up to some audience questions? If you have a question, please come on down to the middle and approach the microphone. And come on. The first person who does gets our undying love. There we there go. There we That's go. That's the guy. Undying love dude right there. Yeah. I'm just curious. Obviously, things can change, but how committed is sci-fi for the long haul? How committed is sci-fi as a channel for the long for, haul? For making the series to the end. Well, uh, you know, that's, that's a, an economic question. Um, yeah, yeah. Sci-fi is actually in a really weird position with the show because they don't exactly own it. It's owned by Alcon Entertainment, which is uh, the, the people who bought the rights from us. Oh, okay. um, so if sci-fi, God forbid, were to cancel us, we, we would be able to resell it into a different market if there was one that was open to it. Um, that said... Sci-Fi's been an amazing partner. Um, they have supported us uh, through the, you know, two seasons, now a third. They're, the working relationship has gotten better and better. Um, and I, I would be really delighted if we just kept right on doing what we've been doing. And so far, they've been uh, quite happy doing the same. So um, I, I don't think you'll ever get anybody in television who's willing to commit for years in advance because that's not how the yeah. business works. But, uh, but it's been a great partnership up to now, and I can see it going forward. I also just really love, too, and this is kind of beside that point, how I feel like The Expanse and The Magicians are these two sci-fi and fantasy flagships of the sci-fi channel at this point. Um, no, I'm not going to say what you think I'm going to say. We'll get to that later. Um, but it, I think it's really wonderful because I, I feel like it's bringing on this renaissance of, of being able to see more of that kind of stuff on television. Um, and it, it's proving out that these, you know, beyond just Game of Thrones and, and beyond, you know, what we saw with Battlestar Galactica, it, it feels like a more lasting kind of thing that we're going to see moving forward. I, I mean, I, I think the people at Sci-Fi would be the first to admit that uh, there was a period there where the network sort of lost track of its audience. And, and what its audience wanted and, um, and is trying to recapture that is, you know, I mean, uh, we, the conversations we've had, and I don't think this is anything that's secret uh, with executives there, they talk about, you know, they took a look at themselves and they're like, why don't we have Game of Thrones? Like, Game of Thrones should have been our show. The Walking Dead should have been our show. We, we were the network that said we're the genre network, and then all these amazing genre shows wound up on other networks. That's our fault. We need to figure out how to fix that. Um, so there's a real commitment at the network to re, sort of recapture that and, mm-hmm. and hold the flag up for genre TV. And, you know, The Magicians uh, has done very well for them. Uh, the Expanse has gotten them the best sort of reviews they've had since Battlestar Galactica, where suddenly people are saying, oh, the best show about politics on television is Surprise on the Sci-Fi Channel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and I think they're very happy to sort of get that sort of attention again. And as long as we keep bringing that sort of attention to the network. And, and I, I had to hesitate the word, to use the word prestige because it sounds arrogant, but, but you know, the sort of prestige shows for their network mm-hmm. where um, now suddenly other create, content creators are going, you know, maybe sci-fi is an option for us, whereas they may not have seen it that way uh, prior. Yeah, the, the, when we first 
had the option picked up. When it was first, we started moving forward and we found a channel. The consistent response people had was, Yahoo, The Expanse is going to be a TV show, but it's going to be on sci-fi. <laughs> um, and, and part of our mandate, I think, has been to say, yeah, sci-fi is not what you thought it was. You know, that channel is no longer um, what was in your mind. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I hope we're doing that. I hope we're doing proud. Yeah. Well, I've worked at a television network. It was a genre television network. And I can tell you, like, TV executives are not evil people plotting to kill the fans. Like, <laughs> their hope is not, let's drive them all away. And there, there's a bit of a theme of that out there. What happened with sci-fi, in my, this is just my opinion, is there was a demonstrated plan for networks. If you wanted to get bigger and bigger audiences, you start small, you start niche, you super serve, and then you broaden out. And it worked great for MTV. And as sci-fi was doing that, the landscape changed. Yeah, And that stopped exactly. being a working formula for them. And what they've done now is say, let's, let's re-steer the ship. That plan doesn't work anymore. Super serving the niche actually is the thing that works. And yes, that's great for us because that's what we want because we're the niche, right? Uh, but it's not like they did it out of malice or anything like that. No, and, and we are in a, a time of tremendous flux in television industry, who content providers are, what channels are, what networks mean, um, is all absolutely in play right now in a way it hasn't been in my lifetime. Yeah, and and figuring out how that works is part of what's going on. I mean, uh, it is a very unusual situation in that we, you know, sci-fi is, is the, are the people who broadcast our show first. They have, the, you know, the, the, the first airings of all the episodes and, and do not own us. That's, mm-hmm. that's, that's weird. That's really yeah. weird. And it creates this weird relationship between the studio, Alcon, and the network um, that we sort of, in the first season, had to figure out how that was going to work. And, you know, there's very smart people at the top of both those organizations who worked hard to figure that out. And now it feels like we kind of understand how that works. And the network feels comfortable that, you know, we hear what they're telling us. And we feel comfortable that they're giving us the freedom to make the show that we want to make. And it's, it's become less of a push-pull and more of a synergistic we're all kind of pulling in the same direction feel. Um, and hopefully that continues. Uh, and I, th- I think everybody wants that to continue. So, Now, you may have answered this question uh, throughout the weekend already, but I'd love to hear your opinion. Uh, the, the theme here at Baycon is, is utopia or dystopia. Uh, do you feel as though the Expanse universe is dystopian or utopian or nope. neither? Nope, it is neither. Mm-hmm. I, we, we've, we've had this conversation um, for years at this point. Um, no, the, the, the expanse, I mean, I feel like the, the central argument of uh, the, the show, the property of the books, the whole thing is that um, humans um, tend to not change their nature and have bumble along and do horrible things and do beautiful things and uh, that history is a long staggering forward that's likely to continue staggering forward uh, as long as we get to go and and that the problems that we will have the problems we will face when we when we go to the stars will be the ones we packed with us yeah i mean one of the one of the things that sort of changed my view of humanity and and why we are the way we are is i read uh, an evolutionary biologist was talking about how humans as it's sort of this version of human um pretty much hasn't changed for 150,000 years. Um, this, the way we look now, we were 
you know, carrying sharp sticks and, and jabbing animals on the Serengeti 150,000 years Lizards ago. Lizards on a stick. Lizards, Lizards on, on a stick. stick. That's right. It always comes back to lizards on a stick. And, and now that same exact physical thing with basically no physiological change now builds rocket ships and satellites and probes that drive around on Mars. And, and that's kind of amazing and horrifying at the same time that, that the, the same brain structure and physical structure that just all it could figure out to do was make a, a stick pointy and, and jab it into an animal to eat um, now builds microchips and, <laughs> and probes and things like that. But at the same time, it, it helps me understand why we do seem to be so dumb. And we, we, keep, we keep making the same mistakes over and over again. And we keep, we, we keep fumbling what seems like they should be easy solutions and, and easy uh, things to solve because we're still, we're, still, we're still spirit carriers, all of us. We're still the same guys who, uh, you know, our first solution to every problem was poke it with a stick until it stops moving. Yeah. Well, and... and remembering history requires you, you know, because we don't remember what happened before we were born. It requires you to study. It requires you yeah. to make an effort to do that. Yeah. And, uh, and, and history is not just the facts of history. It is an ongoing creation of narrative. And, um, and the narrative that frames the events of our lives and the events of uh, our contemporaries um, is... That's a mutable thing too. This is this mm -hmm. is not just learning from history. This is also uh, creating what history is, what history was. It's I, I had never thought of it like this before, but it's it's as if you started in the seventh book of a series and then started writing the eighth yourself without having read the first six. Yeah, it's it's a it's a weird thing. That was deep, Tom. I'm not, I'm not sure deep. if it was deep or not. It can go either way. We have That's another question. Segue for my question. Are the books listed in order of they should be read on the website? Uh, everything should be read in publication order. So, yeah. Okay. It just doesn't show the dates when they were published. So, anyway. Uh, but, well, there's, there's a little number on the spine. Oh, no, but I mean on the website. Oh, on the website. Okay. Yeah, okay. And then the second comment, just as a, yeah. is a, an aside, is... If you ever go to the catacombs in France, go with someone who go with someone who um, can read Latin, because the two thousand year old graffiti is like so and so has a big nose, and it just yeah. reinforces your like we are still the same. Yeah, we haven't changed a bit. <laughs> That's yep. great. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah. That was one of the coolest parts of Rome, the HBO series. I don't know if you ever watched it. But I, they, I loved Rome. Rome was so yeah. good. I, so uh, Sharon Hall, the executive producer of The Expanse, the, the person who was the president of television development at Alcon when they bought The Expanse, she's, she's actually the one who bought it. Uh -huh. Her husband wrote on Rome. What? And so I was hanging out with her at an event, and I got to meet him, and I, I think I geeked out a little bit. I got, I got a little nerdy. He's like, dude, you, you have a TV show, too. I'm like, I know, but it's not Rome. <laughs> also, definitely don't watch that show on an airplane because there's so much sex, you just feel like a weirdo. Yeah, yeah, the little nudity. kid in the row yeah. behind you like, is peeking through the seat. Yeah. I watched yeah. a lot of that in the air. I, I, have, I was watching, uh, <laughs> re watching Fire Walk with me on the, the flight oh, out here. I was like, maybe wow. I should stop this. <laughs> maybe, oh, no. Yeah. Go ahead and speak right into the mic. Yeah. I have a question about the, the collaborative process of the two of you writing uh, a single uh, manuscript. Uh, is it a question of, do you have different techniques for like starting a chapter and then having someone else finish it? Do you, or, or do you have separate ideas that you combine? Do you have a single person editing the final, final text and so forth? 
Um, the, the way we've, we've done this traditionally is we outline extensively together. We talk a lot about what the project is. Um, and there are some kind of arbitrary set rules that we've put in place at the beginning, like chapters are 3,000 words long. That's just a thing. Um, and then once we have outlined chapters, Ty will write one, I'll write the other, we'll swap. Um, I'll edit his, he'll edit mine, and then we'll put it on the back of the master document. When the whole thing's done, one of us will go through and make all the changes he wants, and then the other guy will go through and make all the changes he wants, and then we'll send it to the publisher. And um, and, and, and we sort of alternate who does that first, um, although it's gotten a little muddy as we've gone on, but it, the intention was that uh, if if you did the first pass edit on this book, then I do the first pass edit on the next book, and you know, and just sort of trade back and forth. And the secret, I think, to uh, that, you know, it's it's not... Um, I will do the first pass edit on this book because you did the last one and I want to make sure I've got my stamp on this one. It's, you know, well, I should do the dishes because you did them last time. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, so we trade the first pass edit back and forth and then the other side of that is the person who doesn't do the first pass edit has to do the, the, copy the line edits. edits. Yeah, the copy edits. Yeah. So it's, it's, it is, it's, it's more about who has to do the chores this time than it is about uh, enforcing our singular vision on it. <laughs> and and uh, I, I think the, the unspoken secret behind why this has worked is that both of us secretly feel like the other guy's doing more of the work and we kind of feel guilty about it. And that's, uh, that, that, that's worked out quite well. <laughs> do do you, you find that you check in with each other on certain things you want to change or is that all kind of worked out in the first phase well, if, if there's something big that we want to uh, tweak, we'll talk through the idea and then put that into the outline. And, and it's, it's much more casual than that. I mean, because often we're, we're sort of writing in the same space. I mean, on our own computers, of course, but in this. And so, you know, one of us will say something, oh, rem I, I'm going through your chapter here and you're writing the character as if they were this. And remember, we decided they're actually that other thing. And I'm, like, oh. I'm making those changes. But when you write that person going in the forward. future, make sure you remember that. That's actually yeah. something that's going on right now. I... I up somebody's diction in the chapter that I was writing, and Ty fixed it, and that's great. Now I'm, I will, I will f less moving forward. But it, it, I mean, it, it goes both directions that way. Where yeah. you know, Daniel will remind me of something. Well, remember, we're doing this. And I, oh, right, right. Yeah, I'll, I'll put so, that in there. Or actually, we named this 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 group that instead of the other. Yeah, it's, it's it's an ongoing um, thing, and and it exists and functions because neither of us has uh, total ego ownership of the thing. It's a you know, being corrected is not a, an assault on who we are. It's just, oh, yeah, that fix it. Cool, thank you. I don't have to fix it. Better than that. Go. Go ahead. Uh, given that you've outlined a lot of what's going to happen all the way through the ninth book, uh, how much influence is there from current news that you're reading about science or politics or books that you're reading? Uh, and also, do you ever put in some fun little thing like the name of uh, you know somebody's pet or something like that you know that oh, only yeah. you guys would know. Yeah, yeah uh, so I'm going to tell this story on Daniel. Um, <laughs> so there's a character who gets just the <laughs> murdered out of them in uh, the second book and that character is named after a doctor that Daniel hates. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, That's true. So there's, there's some of that kind of stuff that uh, people always ask us like oh yeah, you, clearly you wrote this book because you were thinking about WikiLeaks or Trump or whatever the thing is. And the thing that they always miss is we wrote that book like a year and a half before that thing happened. Mm -hmm. We keep accidentally being prescient. So, so we wrote Leviathan Wakes 
Um, that book was done before WikiLeaks happened. But everybody read the book and went, oh, Holden is clearly based on WikiLeaks because he's the guy who yeah. discovers the secrets and spreads it around. And, you know, and that's clearly based on that. No, we, 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 that was completely by accident. And then in uh, book five and six, we have a bad guy that everybody keeps saying, oh, that bad guy is clearly based on Trump. And like, no, he's not at all. I, we, this was be I mean, when we were writing book five, nobody had even thought about Trump as a possibility at that point. One of my favorite comments, uh, there was a guy on, on, on Twitter who was uh, a fan of the show and a fan of the books, and um, he had a little, a little thing that said, question, uh, how, much is the, how did you uh, get something so prescient and about this? Daniel and Ty, we read history. Lather, rinse, repeat. Um, <laughs> and, it, you know, uh, the stuff that we're dealing with um, does often draw from history, and it turns out... History has this thing where it rhymes just over and over, and, and uh, the things that we're working through about freedom and about religion and about uh, how, you, how you relate to people who aren't part of your tribe, that's just something that happens all the time. Yeah. I, I, one of my favorite things is how often we get accused of the exact opposite things which means maybe that we're doing a good job of writing sympathetic characters of every type because we've had people uh, decry the books as clearly an atheist manifesto attacking religion. And then we had somebody accuse us of writing a Christian manifesto trying to, <laughs> to bring it because we wrote a sympathetic Christian character and they're like, well, clearly they're, they're oh, you know, proselytizing they're, yeah, yeah. because they're, that this sympathetic their Christian. Their agenda has finally come out. Yeah, now. They, they, it's finally been revealed agenda. as a Their a, true a, atheist Christian agenda yeah. is clear. Sure. Right. Yeah, our, so, our, our and, true atheist Christian agenda is now muddied. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then, of course, we get accused of, of uh, being liberal tract, and then we get accused of being a libertarian tract. And, of course, you know, liberal and libertarian, very different things. And then we're, we're hardcore conservative militarist sort of worldview. And then we're a, a hardcore uh, world unification. We should all belong to the UN worldview. And... Uh, and then we're cr criticizing basic, and then we're, um, we're in favor of basic. and then yeah. yeah. We get accused of everything, which is actually kind of great. Yeah. Uh, that means you're, you're touching nerves all over the place, well, which is And what, it means we're writing sympathetic characters yeah. from every viewpoint, that, yeah. that we is, don't just have one viewpoint mm -hmm. expressed in the books. Yeah, I was going to say, is there a viewpoint out there you haven't had criticize you yet? Do they, you need to go after, maybe? Bronies. Yeah, yeah. We, haven't, we haven't ever we talked haven't about bronies. bronies. No? Okay. Well, We've I had some people with some unfortunate sexual hang-ups, but that's not it. <laughs> a question? Veronica, I wanted to let you know that the Giants are up 6 nothing. Yes! In the second I mean, inning. statistically, we'll probably win. Maybe. Spoiler. Maybe. Perfect. Also, I had the fun question, I guess. If you guys could... Uh, write any character in another book series or any uh, an episode for any TV show, what would it be? Hmm. That's a fun one. That is an interesting question. But, uh, I, mean, I, I want to write the, um, the Omar spinoff from The Wire. <laughs> I, just, I just want to write the adventures of Omar. Is um, that a prequel? Yeah, of course. Okay. Yeah, of course. It's <laughs> a spoiler. Spoiler alert. Um, yeah. I, I want to write young Omar coming up in the streets and uh, becoming the Omar we see. The in young the adventures. Can it be of like Omar, a buddy comedy yeah. somehow? Can there be like. Oh, well, Omar like tone is. The thing about here? Omar is he's yeah. funny as he's hell. He's really funny. Yeah, he's yeah. really funny. And he always has a buddy who's also his boyfriend. Yeah. You know, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. um, I, would, I would write the out of that. That would be amazing. 
What are you going to do now, Daniel? That was a pretty yeah, good one. That's a hard one. <laughs> well, um, because it's where my head is right now, um, what, I'd, what I'd like to do is write Twin Peaks. Oh, uh, oh yeah. There, That'd be there, great. There's, mm-hmm. there's something about my head that really, every now and again, I need to be in a nightmare. Um, I really love the new one. I'll tell you what, I'm watching that one, and it is uh, like having a bad dream. And and that's it. Turns out that really turns my crank. That's awesome. That's good. You, I, you I guys, will say though that I have been putting pressure on my buddy um, Felicia to get me in the writers' room for uh, the new Mystery Science Theater. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, oh, I, yeah, I keep sort of quietly nudging her and going, "Hey, you guys don't need writers for that, do you? <laughs> 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 Just let me fill in once, yeah, twice, or a bunch of times, <laughs> hang out." Yeah, that would be amazing too. Well, now you guys did do a Star Wars book. We did the last Star Wars yeah. book. We did in the, the expanded universe. We did. The, we we shut down the expanded wow, universe. That's really left. cool. The last legend. I don't think we I actually knew last, that part. Yeah, no, that was it. Was um, we as we were writing it was when uh, Disney bought Star Wars, and uh, ours was the last one in the old continuity. And Kevin Hearns, right, was the it was the first was yeah, the first his, one his in the Luke new Skywalker one. book was the first book of the new new regime, the new Disney regime. Yeah, and so our was, version of the story is we wrote Star Wars so hard they, they had, had to, to start turn out over. the lights behind us. <laughs> <laughs> They had to rebuild it. Yeah. Would, you, would you do that again as no. James S.A. Corey? Nah, no. I, I think you get one of those for free. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't think, I mean, for one thing, right now I'm very busy. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it, it's not, it's a, it's a weird and punishing process to, uh, to match continuity. Because we, we, when we went into it, it was with the understanding that, you know, this was going to be a kind of a, an on-ramp for people to get into the books. And we still wound up having it, Things where we screwed up, which aliens had been introduced when, and where, who was a secret, and and what uh, you know, we had a plot line that had was too close to something that they did in a comic book in the '80s, so we couldn't do it. And um, it's it's a it's a hard thing to do. It's a really difficult uh, process. I have nothing but respect for the folks who who that's what they're they're dealing with every day. Well, I must have given you an appreciation of why they decided to clean the slate. Oh no, I yeah. totally understand that. Yeah, you, 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 you can sort of get it because it had gotten so unwieldy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that it was impossible to create any content in there because you're trying to balance 6,000 other mm-hmm. things well, on and, top of it. And that's part of, I mean, that, that folds into uh, a conversation that we have about uh, the idea of canonicity and um, the reason that it's not a, a, a big thing for me when our show diverges from our books um, that, that you can have different versions of a story that coexist comfortably. Um, when you're trying to have that that not not a not a mythos but a continuity, uh, it's you 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 wind up stepping on yourself a lot, and it's really hard to keep it straight. And when you have it be uh, something that gets retold and retold and retold and retold, it gives you a whole bunch of different versions of it, and a whole I think. Yeah. A much richer experience of it. I mean, I really like uh, all the different versions of Batman. I think that if there were only one version of Batman, it would be an impoverished story. Yeah, I think I feel like fandom is a lot more comfortable with that idea now too. I mean, between Star Wars and Star Trek and Game of Thrones, and, yeah, well, we will... had we had somebody just shivering with rage 
Uh, there when, will always be at least one. When we were explaining that we didn't actually care about the concept of canon, uh, um, that that for that person, yeah. uh, they need to know if that thing is canon or not. They need to know where it fits in the canon, and they cannot enjoy the story unless they know that first. They mm-hmm. need to know that this one is true. It's like, bad news. Regarding, <laughs> <laughs> regarding the TV show or regarding... No, no, this was a conversation, about, I think, about Star Wars. No, I don't right. remember exactly. Mm-hmm. But, but just, you know, they were talking about canon with us, and Daniel kept going, I don't care about canon. And, no. and I was like, I don't care. I mean, like, his example, which I, I love, is, you know, there's the killing joke Batman, and there's... Uh, uh, Dark Knight Returns Batman, and there's uh, Batman. Christian Bale Batman, mm-hmm. and there's Michael Keaton Batman, and they're all Batman, and they they're all legitimate Batman, um, and I and I can enjoy all of them, even though they could not possibly fit in the same continuity together, it, it, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. But, but if for they this did person, exist in the same continuity, right? But for this person, amazing. they have to know. That's what, called the Dark Tower by Stephen King. No. <laughs> there's, actually, there's there's I'm trying to remember the comic book. There was a comic book. I think it was Warren Ellis. What was the, what was the? Trent, no, 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 no. No, it was there, there was a. I'd have to look it up. I have it on Comicsology, but there was a a, a a Batman crossover with where it was flipping through universes. It was flipping through alternate universes, um, and it was all of the different Batmans showing up. It was the Dark Knight Batman showing mm, up mm-hmm. and. The Batman 66 Batman showing up and all of this um, in this kind of flux universe um, where the the actual continuity of the comic book existed that wound up being a a beautiful commentary on uh, the underlying property and all of the things that these these projects have in common and all of the things that they have that are... uh, Separate, yeah. And it's 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 a really and it's a and it's a rich and beautiful idea. It made me very happy. We'll we'll look for that and add it to the show notes too because I, okay. I think that'd be really rad. Well, I think that about wraps it up. Well, thanks guys so much for for joining us for this discussion and for being here at Baycon this year. It's been amazing. Thank you for having us. Thank you.